On today's episode of the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast, I'll be speaking about how the distinction between analog and digital can be immensely useful in your coaching practice, and how a both and awareness can be the difference that makes a difference. You are listening to the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast, a show devoted to uncovering the systems and the secrets that set the best apart where you learn how to take your coaching clients to the next level, while you grow the coaching practice of your dreams. So sit back and relax, or sit up and get excited. Either way, you might want to pay attention. This could be important. Hello there. Welcome back to the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. I have received some feedback from Eh, one person. <laughs> I figure it's representative. I don't know if it's just one out of a million, probably not one out of a hundred, possibly. Um, but I've received feedback that I sometimes talk too fast on these things. So I am going to slow down today a little bit, little make the effort to anyway, slow down a little bit, channel my best late night. FM radio DJ, if that is a thing anymore, even, I'm not even sure. any rate, um, what I am going to be slowly talking to you about today is uh, kind of the difference between fast and slow, actually. So that if I speed up speaking, I'm going a little bit faster. I'm still speaking the microphone. You can still understand what I'm saying. This is a little bit faster, but it is still English language. And I'm hopefully making some sense. If I start to slow down, I haven't stopped talking. It's still talking happening. I'm just going slower. And that is an analog change. So I'm going to speak to you today about the difference between analog changes and digital changes. I'm also going to talk to you about a difference between how the conscious mind works and how the unconscious mind works and why these concepts are important to not only understand, but to utilize in coaching, whether your coaching is, you know, one-on-one, you know, traditional coaching or whether your coaching is more uh, havening or NLP or hypnosis type of coaching. No matter what, it's really useful to understand these these distinctions and these concepts and to be able to utilize them appropriately. So hence my decision to talk about these today. So you've heard these talks before about analog versus digital. What is the difference? I know some of you know this. I'm going to tell you anyway. Analog is like from the word analogy. Uh, It's analogous. Something is analogous to something else. An analog change is similar to something else. But what it's usually used at, as in um, like analog music versus, an analog change is usually used as a gradual change. So slowing up and speeding down. Slowing up, speeding down. Speeding up and slowing down. What's the difference? Anyway, but the difference of slowing down or speeding up is an analog change. The information is moving along at the same, uh, in, this, in the same way, it's just faster or slower. It could be louder or softer. There's an analog change as well. If it's louder, it's getting louder, it's getting louder, it's getting louder, it's gradually getting louder. That is an analog change. Whereas um, <clears throat> if it's on or off, 
That's a digital change. Digital is like zero or one. It's what computers do. It's what computers do. It's what phones do. Is digital information is is at, is a series of numbers, either one or zero. It's on or it's off. So isn't that interesting? On or off, on or off. How can a digital thing like a computer make sound if it's just a series of numbers? Now, I would have to show you a chart of, for you to really understand the difference between how digital music works and analog music works. Suffice it to say, for you to hear it, it has to be analog. So the computer has to go through a process called a digital to analog conversion for your microphones to put out sound, you know, your, your headset to put out sound that you can hear. It actually has to go through an analog to digital conversion to take what's happening now with my voice as it goes into this microphone here into the computer. The computer changes the analog sound of my voice into a digital representation of that sound. And then on the other end, when you listen to the recording, it converts it back. So the digital to analog conversion takes place. It's got to be converted or you won't hear it. I hope that makes sense. So that's Good to know. So the difference between on or off or a gradual change. So if you take a light and turn it just off or you turn it just on, that's a digital change. The light is on or the light is off. Yes or no, good or bad, digital changes. If you turn, if you have a, a dimmer on your light and you gradually can make it brighter, make it brighter, make it brighter, that is an analog change. Now, yes, interesting stuff. One of the reasons it's useful to me right now or coming to mind right now is I was recently working with a person, a client, who was um, coming to me for pain management. She's experienced a good deal of pain in her life. Um, <clears throat> I won't go into any de details about it, but just suffice it to say it's been ongoing pain ever since a sort of botched operation. And um, in working with her, I realized one of the mistakes I made at first was to not explain adequately the difference between analog and digital. Not that I would necessarily have used that terminology, but to have her think that um, with hypnosis, I'd either, you know, I'd take the pain that had been with her, in other words, on for years and just turn it off so that after the hypnosis session, it would be off, you know, gone. I would take her pain away is um, not a good thing to be thinking. <laughs> it's, we can hope for that. It's, it's, it's a good goal to have, but it's not a good criteria for the patient, if you will, the client to have coming into your session, that you're going to take their pain away for them, especially if it's been there all this time. You know, it's a difference between 100% and zero. No. What's much better, better for everybody concerned is to start off and say, hey, where is your pain on a scale of zero to 100? And have them measure their experience of the, of the pain. And at first, you can even use words like pain because you want them to experience it fully the way they are experiencing it at the moment. And let's just say, hypothetically, um, they say something like it's 80 on a scale of zero to 100. It's, it's very intense. It's 80. What you want to do then from a hypnotherapist's point of view, is, is to say, great, let's see what happens, what you need to do to make it 85 on a scale of zero to 100. So go from 80 
to 85. Most people will resist this idea. Uh, so you need to be a bit persuasive that is if they can get it up that high, you can take it down again as well. But just for the record, I wanted to see what you can do to make it, you know, 85 rather than just 80. And then when they do that, and they will do that, they'll, they'll notice what they have to do in order to make that happen. Maybe focus on it more, maybe tighten their muscles a bit, maybe hold their breath or something, tense themselves up. Something like that will have to happen. Then you say, great, thank you. Now that it's 85, let's bring it back down again. Bring it back down to 80. Now, one of the reasons you do this is to show them that they can do that and that change is possible, you know, and that the change is happening from them, that they're doing it. Because ultimately, you're not going to be taking their pain away. You're going to help them do it. So they're the ones that need to be able to do it in the first place. Then what I like to say is like, isn't that cool? You did that all yourself. And, you know, hypnosis has been around for a couple hundred years. By that name, it's been around since the beginning of time, probably, but we didn't call it that. Nobody called it that. But, you know, these utilizations of altered states have been around since the dawn of mankind. So, isn't it interesting that you are able to do it with no training whatsoever to increase your pain to 85 and bring it back down to 80 again? Imagine what you could do if you knew a portion, a, a, a fraction of what has been studied for all those years, all those centuries by very, you know, gifted hypnotherapists. So fortunately for you, you're in the room with me here today, either virtually or otherwise. This is what you're saying to them. And, you know, we've studied a lot of the great techniques over the time to be able to reduce the pain even further. So let me show you some of those techniques. And we're going to reduce it on the scale of zero to 100. So we're going to get from 85 to 80. It's going to be a win, won't it, if you get it down to 70, if you get it down to 60, if you get it down to 50 from 80, it's going to be a huge difference. But if they come with an expectation that you're going to go boop, gone, magic, nothing up my sleeves, you know, take their pain away and it's gone. They will be unhappy with whatever result. Even when you get it down to five, they're going to go like, oh, I still have a real pain because that's what my client recently did. So exactly what my client did. Yeah, I was hoping it would be gone or it would go away, but I still have some pain in my back. And I asked her what it was. And it was nothing like it had been, but it was still there. So it was a failure. Right in her eyes because of the expectation of the digital change off or on. So we want to go for the analog here. We want to get for the reduction to take place. Lots of other areas as well, as you can imagine, that it would be really useful to go for the analog rather than the digital. You know, pretty much any change that a person's making, you know, they're not going to go from uh, an overnight success. You know, they're not going to go from failure to success because of a session they've had with you. You know, maybe you've planted some seeds for that success. And because of one session with you, they may become successful, but probably not tomorrow. Probably not, you know, day after that, you know, unless they win the lottery or something, chances are good. It'll take some time. And those seeds will take some nurturing, won't they? You planted some very wonderful seeds. It's going to take some watering, some tending some weeding of the garden surrounding it, right? You need to, to 
take care of those seeds, nurture them in order for them to grow into full, gigantic plants, you know? So it's good to have this idea of the analog change versus the digital change. The other thing I want to talk to you about is the difference between the conscious mind and the other than conscious mind. Now, just for the record, I think I've, I know I've said this before. I think I've said it before in this podcast that the term other than conscious mind, you may have heard. My uh, first NLP teacher, Tony Robbins, used to use that word because it was coined by a guy that he and I both studied with, a guy named Dave Dobson. Dave Dobson coined that term as far as I know. He certainly said that he did and uh, had as his website was OTCC, other than conscious communication.com, Dave Dobson. I think that may still exist, or at least um, may send you to Barbara Stepp's uh, website because Dave uh, passed on, shuffled off his mortal coil a few years ago. So I think his website has, has finally done the same but I think it might uh, lead you over to Barbara Stepp's Excellence, Excellent Quest, Excellence Quest website where she, uh, she maintains some of his, his uh, materials that you can still purchase. But Dave coined that term other than conscious because he said he thought it was more accurate than what other people say. He, he said the terms con- unconscious, subconscious were fraught with uh, inaccuracies. Because he said, for instance, um, let's say you, you you ate a bowl of uh, ice cream last night and you know went off your diet and ruined it. Um, you didn't do that unconsciously. You weren't asleep. Chances are, at least maybe maybe you were. But um, you know, some some people do do night sleeping. I have had that issue with some folks from time to time. But most people, it's just like I know I did it. I just couldn't stop myself. I just had to eat that ice cream. So it wasn't unconscious. And the terms subconscious, as he put it, is just kind of rude to the other than conscious. What he liked to prefer is the other than conscious terminology is it may not, <clears throat> may not be conscious, but it's not sub. It's not below the quality level of consciousness. In fact, everything that your conscious mind is aware of is a gift from your other than conscious, as he put it. You know, that your other than conscious is responsible for you being able to walk and talk and do all kinds of things that you don't have to think about consciously in order to do. In fact, if you did think about it, probably couldn't do it, at least not as well, not as elegantly. You've had that experience, you know, learning to drive a car as an example. If you've ever had that experience, you probably remember you weren't very good at it at first. I'm not sure it was Dave, but somebody along those lines first uh, that I remember hearing the phrase, he said, well, that just goes to show you that anything worth doing is worth doing badly at first. I like that phrase Um, because eventually you do get good at it, right? You go from this unconscious incompetence to conscious incompetence to conscious competence and ultimately to unconscious competence where you're, you know, driving along without even thinking about it. Now, Dave, of course, wouldn't want you to call it unconscious competence. He'd want you to call it other than conscious competence. Because what he says is that it's not below the level of consciousness. It's not subconscious. It's not unconscious. But it is not conscious. So it's other than conscious. 
He believed it to be a more courteous, uh, respectful terminology for your other than conscious who gives you this gift of your consciousness. So that's just an aside about the term other than conscious. Tony Robbins uses that term from time to time, and now you know where it comes from. I use it from time to time as well. I also use the other terms just because a lot of my learning has come from different people like uh, Milton Erickson, at least vicariously, I never met Milton, but I read a lot of his books, listened to a lot of his recordings over the years, have studied with a lot of the people that he has, he taught, uh, Stephen Gilligan, et cetera, who use the term unconscious or perhaps subconscious from time to time, because that's the way Milton talked about it. Um, Bandler likes to use that term. So I use them all from time to time. You'll, you'll hear me say those different things. But the idea that I got from Stephen Gilligan, probably ultimately from Erickson, but don't know for that for a fact. I haven't heard or seen where Erickson said what I'm about to say to you. But according to Stephen Gilligan, the difference between the conscious and the other than conscious mind is that the conscious mind is an either or kind of logic base. It operates out of an either or logic base, a digital logic base. Things are good or they're bad. It's on or it's off. It's digital. Black or white, up or down, this or that. Pain, no pain. The conscious mind operates out of that kind of logic base. Whereas the other than conscious mind can operate from, be perfectly amenable to, totally comfortable in a both and awareness. It's both this and that. It's off and on at the same time. Not in sequence. That would still be digital, right? The first this, then that. It's, it's sequential. That's not at the same time. At the same time means simultaneously happening now, both of them together. It is this, this piece of paper in front of me is white and black. It's off and it's on. It's up and it's down. It's good and it's bad. All of these things are happening simultaneously. Simultaneously, they're happening at the same time. So one of Stephen Gilligan's favorite phrases is, and isn't it nice to know that you can enjoy both at the same time? It's a great little trance induction, and it's a very good suggestion. And it's really practical in a kind of strangely impractical way. One of the areas that I've used this concept in is, is the work with, I, I do with the havening techniques. Um, I'm sure some of you have heard we had Stephen Rudin on this podcast, who is the one of the two founders of the Havening Techniques. Havening Techniques, as you probably know a little bit about, at least a little bit, is the technique as a psychosensory therapy. Psychosensory meaning both talking and thinking and also a sensory part, which in the Havening technique, Techniques case is a stroking of the forehead or face, cheeks, and also uh, the arms from the shoulders down to the elbows and the palms of the hands. And the stroking of these areas create delta waves in the body, which in turn create um, an electrical chemical response. So you get different neurotransmitters released in the brain, like dopamine and serotonin and GABA. One of the ways that all this is utilized is the psycho part. We, we help a person have mental, emotional healing with these techniques. So we use the body to create a mental emotional healing through the, the application of the touch. And very often 
it goes from on to off. The trauma was there, now the trauma is gone. It goes from, you know, 100 down to zero, or 10, in our case, usually, down to zero. So if it was, if, if a person's memory of a traumatic experience starts off at a 10, and it goes down to zero by the time this thing is over, that's a very nice outcome, isn't it? And sometimes, because it has happened, that people expect it to happen every time. And then, of course, that's the same problem that my previously mentioned pain client was having. Expectations, expectations that it's going to be gone. You're going to take this away from zero to from seven, from 10 to zero, from 100 to zero. Take it away. It's gone. That's great. When that happens, it's fantastic. And it does happen amazingly frequently. And sometimes it doesn't. And that's okay too. Because like I said before about the pain person, we can get it down from 80% to 70% or 50% or anything lower than 80. That's good. Better than what it was, right? So often, sometimes at least in the havening techniques processes along the way, we do a process that's kind of akin to the NLP process of collapsing anchors, where you introduce the opposite. So if the, in the NLP, you, you anchor a you know, negative anchor, then you anchor its opposite uh, on the opposite knee. So you might anchor you know, the sound on the left side of a finger snapping on the left side and finger snapping on the right side. I doubt that's stereo for you, but if it, if it was, imagine that's on your left side and this is on your right side. So you anchor them both at the same time and they collapse. It often happens anyway. So the idea is that you find the opposite. With havening, what we sometimes do is we find the, the word that expresses the feeling. So if a person might say, I'm upset, or they might say, I'm terrified, or they might say, I'm anxious, or I'm worried, or I'm scared. They might have any number of words to describe the feeling that is associated with their experience. Terrified, let's just say. So one of the things we do in the havening techniques is we, we measure that from a scale of zero to 10. And then we measure its decline as we go through the process. And a scale zero to 10, it was a 10, where is it now? And, you know, halfway through, it's a five, halfway through, it's a, you know, two or whatever. Now we measure it as we go. Sometimes it doesn't go to zero. And so sometimes I go from that process to a slightly different process within the havening techniques array. Havening techniques is more than one type of using the havening touch for change. Um, the havening technique called transpirational havening is where you say those words and you find the opposite word to express its opposite. At least that's one of the ways of doing it. We call it opposites, transpirational havening. Trust me on that. And so you say, okay, I'm terrified on one hand. And on the other hand, I'm calm. Terrified, calm. You say that both at, in, in sequence, terrified, calm. So it's not both at the same time, terrified, Calm. They may be experiencing both at the same time, but they can't say both at the same time. So it goes from terrified to calm. And then doing this while they're applying the havening touch. Now, sometimes what I'll do is I'll say on a scale of zero to 10, how terrified are you now? And they'll say, well, it's maybe a two. It's gone down considerably to a two. 
And I said, well, that's that's nice, isn't it? It was a 10 before, now it's a 2. Isn't that nice? Big change. And then I'll say, and on a scale of 0 to 10, how much of that calm are you feeling? Where 10 is good to have. You know, it would be great to have all the calmness in the world. That would be a 10. So on a scale of 0 to 10 with 0, there's no calmness. And 10 where there's a ton of calmness, um, how calm are you right now? And it's, oh, really calm. And, well, maybe an eight. Say, great. So you've got a two of terrified and an eight of calm. And then I'll say, and isn't it nice to know that you can enjoy both at the same time? And that both and is a wonderful thing. That both and is a wonderful thing. It helps them to collapse the anchors but to also recognize that it doesn't have to be this digital change. It's okay if they've gone down from a 10 to a 2. It's much more manageable, wouldn't you think? I mean, obviously, it is much more manageable. And if you add into that mix of emotions that I'm also, at the same time, very, very calm, and then, of course, we don't stop there, and we increase the level of calm, and we do our best to decrease down to whatever level is appropriate, hopefully zero, but you know, sometimes people don't want to go to zero. They don't feel ready to go to zero just yet. So that's okay. You can let them be at one or two or whatever level is bright for them. And at the same time, have a whole lovely dose of calm or whatever their feeling is that they've brought up when you ask them what is the opposite of that feeling you were feeling. So that use of this both and and the, you know, opposites kind of thing is a wonderful use of this technique for change to happen. And you can also use the concept in a session in a variety of ways. So as an example, right now I'm talking to you in my living room in front of my desk, in front of my computer. Um, and it's gotten warmer than it has been in the past several months. It's springtime finally up here in the Northeast in uh, Hudson Valley. And so the, the porch door is wide open and it's a bit of a breezy day. And out there hanging on one of the maple trees in the backyard is a set of Woodstock chimes. We are not far from Woodstock. And coincidentally, I I did purchase them in Woodstock at their factory out that store. They have an annual sale, at least used to. Anyway, you might hear those from time to time. And sometimes people, when I've been doing recordings, hear background noises of various kinds. And some people might say, oh, that's a distraction. Some people might say it's there's noise in the background, as if they are expecting it to be a you know pristine studio recording where there's just, you know, silence in the background. And that sort of thing can often happen in a session. When I was used to live in New York City, I still, by the way, have the apartment there. Just haven't been there in a while. Um, but when I used to work in the city, not uncommon for there to be sounds. <laughs> you know, if the windows were open at all, there were sounds coming in. So like, yes, you can hear those sounds out there, the sirens or whatever else has happened in, in, in New York. 
um, taxi cabs honking, et cetera. Um, and at the same time, you can hear my voice and you can allow your unconscious mind to focus on my voice while at the same time, those sounds can recede into the background of your awareness. And isn't it nice to know you can enjoy both at the same time? You can be comfortable and uncomfortable at the same time. By the way, when I said that, I was immediately reminded of a, another saying that I got from my teacher, Dave Dobson. Dave used to say to us that, uh, you know, one of the tricks to becoming successful in anything, to be good at anything, successful at anything, is to hone the skill of being comfortable being uncomfortable. Because learning something new is uncomfortable. Learning something new, you get into a, a place where it's like, oh, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I'm uncertain. And that can be very uncomfortable. Growth is uncomfortable. Remember when you were a kid and you were growing at growing pains? I remember those. And my parents were like, it's growing pains, Sonny. Just go to bed. I don't know why they called me Sonny. It wasn't my name, damn it. But anyway, I'm just kidding. Um, growing pains are uncomfortable pains. And that's what we experience sometimes when we grow. Sometimes when we're doing new things, when we're starting to be coaches and we haven't been coaches before, when the you know, phone proverbially isn't ringing off the hook with new clients saying, yes, I want to book with you. I've heard you do that coaching thing. I want so badly to take coaching for me. When that doesn't happen and we have to learn techniques or whatever to get people to our, our, our doorstep, if you will, that can be a growing pain, right? To learn new things is growing. So some people avoid growing because it's uncomfortable. So the idea of being comfortable while being uncomfortable or being comfortable in your discomfort, it's an interesting concept, isn't it? To be comfortably uncomfortable or to be uncomfortable comfortable in your discomfort is another way of putting that. So useful, isn't it? To be able to have both at the same time. It's a useful concept to have a both and awareness possibility. And also recognize that the analog versus digital distinction is an important one to have as well. So I can say for myself that I am very grateful to you to being here with me. And that if you find this useful, please tune in again at the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. Check over what we have over there at the EssentialCoachingSkills.com. And there's a lot of um, transcripts of these different podcasts we've had over the years. Very cool stuff. Um, very cool transcripts as well. The kind of transcript when you get to it, if you click on a word within that transcript, it'll take you to that very spot in the, uh, in the podcast. Pretty neat. Pretty neat. So check that out. Hope to see you again soon. Although, oh, by the way, a little um, commercial here for the future. <laughs> we're, we are shifting. We're going to be doing in not too long in the future. Um, we're going to do both uh, video and audio up till today, up till now, to now it's been only audio. We record the conversations with people on zoom. So the possibility existed that there could be uh, video, but it hasn't been but we're going to start converting things over to video and have a YouTube channel for this. And uh, in the future, 
when we do conversations, they'll be also uh, probably be optional depending on the person who I'm interviewing, but uh, certainly most often they will be uh, video as well as audio recordings. So that's cool, isn't it? So thanks for being here. Appreciate it very much. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you so much for joining me. If you want any more information about today's show, please visit our website at www.essentialcoachingskills.com. Be sure to tune in again next week for our next episode and discover even more about the systems and the secrets that set the best apart.